Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Faith Brown. Faith, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Quentin. Happy to be here. For sure. So, uh, Faith, we're going to jump right into it. I've got a few questions I'd like to ask all of the guests just to kind of keep the continuity of each uh, podcast conversation. So I would like to know, first of all, how do you start your day? Do you have any specific routine or ritual that you like to stick to on most mornings and on most days? Yeah, so a typical like day going to work, I'm usually up at about 545 um, first thing I do is go through my morning routine and I take my dog out, uh, Sammy, take him out for a walk. Um, usually when I'm walking him and just kind of when I get up in the morning, I'm not a morning person, but you know, with certain conditioning, you got to get up early. So usually I listen to like kind of morning affirmation videos, um, just to kind of like start my day with like positivity. And I listen to positive affirmation that are, that are specific to black women. Um, just cause that kind of, it resonates a little bit more and it's a little bit more specific and tailored to me. And, um, it's just, it's just kind of unique. And then other days I may just listen to just like some general motivational podcasts, you know, um, you know, they've got a bunch of interviews like David Goggins and stuff like that, just anything like that, just to kind of get you motivated, energized, kind of woken up. So I kind of listen to, to that throughout, um, just my morning routine and then walking Sammy and then we'll come back up. I'll feed him and then I'll get my breakfast going, sit down, eat breakfast and and then get dressed and then um, get out the door, head into work. So yeah, that's kind of my morning routine. Um, like on the weekends, um, it's a little bit different. I do like to sleep in a little bit more. So like try to get up around like nine or so and then get up, do whatever I need to do, try to get a training session in and then just kind of be productive the rest of the day. Excellent. Love it. Um, with your, uh, the, the morning affirmations, kind of like uh, you said, uh, with, with the, the black women, like, are there some go-tos that you, uh, you would, you would recommend? There's honestly, I just, sometimes I'll just Google it or they'll pop up on my like YouTube. So I'll go to the YouTube app and they'll just pop up and I'll click on any of them. Like I, there's not a specific person that I look for. It's just, um, I think it's kind of unique because it's just different people who their page is usually about, you know, um, you know, a lot of girls have like the self-help and just day in my life type video. They kind of, cater towards that type of that's their kind of content so i just click on any kind of um affirmation video that's specific to black women so it's not a specific person but if you type it into the uh youtube search bar you'll get plenty of hits okay cool very cool all right um faith you have a favorite book or a book that you like to gift often and then you kind of mentioned podcasts already but is there like a specific podcast that's kind of your go-to? You mentioned David Goggins, which I've I've consumed a lot of his content myself. But uh, let's start with your favorite book or book that you like to gift often. And then if you want to list off some of your favorite podcasts, uh, why don't you do that as well, if you don't mind? Yeah, I would say, honestly, the top two books that come to mind that I've read, like since I've been an adult, since I've been in my career are Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which I know pr pretty much every strength coach or most people in the fitness world have read. And then also Extreme Ownership, which again, most people in the strength conditioning fitness um, world have read. Um, but, I, but I really like Extreme Ownership. And that book is probably top of my list when I think about it, just because it kind of gives you a different perspective on being a leader and leading a team, leading a staff, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and with my career with working with collegiate athletes, in my role, I am a leader to them. Like that's, that is my role. And I have to establish myself as a leader. So I can't, when situations come up, 
I, I like the book because, you know, he talks about, I think it's like chapter two or three, he talks about how they were on a mission and things went wrong. And then they sat down a debrief and they're trying to figure out, okay, whose fault was this? And he's like, you know, I'm, I was the one who's in charge. So I have to take responsibility and say, this is my fault. And like, I like that he says extreme ownership because in certain situations, it is really extreme to take the complete blame for everything. Cause there's a lot of different moving pieces. So you know, like it's your job to make sure everyone is doing what they're supposed to do. But if that person chooses to not be locked in and not do what they need to do, it kind of is their fault a little bit, but you're in charge. So you kind of take it. So it's interesting. So I kind of like that. And I like to kind of have that approach with kind of how I do things at, at work. If something happens in the weight room or athletes doing something wrong, is it that athlete's fault or is it maybe it's my fault because maybe I didn't explain it clear enough. Maybe I didn't demo it clear. Maybe I didn't use the right cue. So I try to think about that just so that I don't end up turning into this person who's blaming everyone around me instead of being a leader and say, Hey, that, that was my fault. So I try to be like that with my athletes and take responsibility for if I make a mistake or if they're unsure about a schedule, anything like that. So that's, that's probably my favorite book. And for podcasts, I really, I listen to a lot of different like training uh, podcasts, like specific to CrossFit. Honestly, that's mainly what I listen to. Um, and um, so the ones I listen to um, are the main one I listen to is the programming I follow um, training think tank. They post like podcasts regularly, just about different stuff about the training cycle. They'll um, sit down with some of their higher level athletes and talk about different topics. And it's just kind of interesting um, just to kind of hear their thought process on their programming, hear their thought process on being successful in the sport, the evolution of the sport. So I kind of just listen to those when they come out, just have them in the background while I'm cooking, doing different stuff. Okay. Um, I'm right with you, Faith. I, I've read uh, Extreme Ownership and some of Jocko's other books. And when I first read it, I was kind of like, well, you said like, okay, I get the concept of extreme ownership, but sometimes it's not my fault. But it, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah. just a, it's, a, it's a good practice. I, I, I mean, I, I definitely understand where Jocko's coming from, but I think probably still a little bit inside of me, it's, it's, it's hard for me to completely uh, step into that concept because I'm like, dude, you could be as the leader doing everything right. And people mm -hmm. underneath you or however you want to word all that don't. So it's like, yeah. So, but then again, it's like, you got to humble yourself, uh, and, uh, I guess take some on the chin. So I, I've, I, I've, I've kind of struggled with that myself, but definitely a great book. And, and obviously Jocko is a, is a great human and a great leader, uh, within the military and outside now. So, um, Definitely. What's uh, a life lesson that you've been taught or you've learned within recent times, Faith? Um, life lesson. Um, I would probably say just waking up and that's kind of, um, it'll kind of relate to the morning affirmations. I would just say really taking a step back and really looking around at your life and being grateful for everything that you have. It's very easy to get wrapped up in kind of the negativity um, of everything. And, you know, you ask someone, how's their day? Sometimes they start off with all the negative stuff that happened. So then you have to refocus, like, what are some good things? Like, you know, tell me what was your, what was the highlight of your day? So one thing I started doing is, um, and I kind of, it's just kind of stupid. I saw it on maybe like a Facebook post or something like end of last year. And it was a girl who she had a jar where she put like a highlight of her week for the entire year. So at the end of the year, she went through and read them and just to kind of really, really think about all that you've accomplished, all that you've done, and just really focus on the highlights of the past year. And um, I feel like a lot of people with the new year, they focus on the negatives of the last year, and they focus on not bringing those negatives into the new year. And they talk about how this year is going to be so much better. And it's like, last year was good. Like, there are definitely some highlights of some good things that happened in your year. So 
really taking a step back and being grateful. So I started doing that. Um, I feel like it's kind of cheesy, but I did, I did start doing that. And I think it's, it's really cool to just, um, you know, really reflect on what, what is it that you're grateful for? And there's like a post that I see, um, here and there that's like, you know, five years ago, you prayed to be where you are today, like things like that of like, okay, you, you, you are much further along than you were five years ago, you're in the right, you're going in the right direction, or you've achieved this goal, and you might be looking towards the next one. But let's take a step back and really look at everything that you're grateful for you woke up, you've got a way to get to work, you have a job, you are surrounded by people that love you, family, friends, um, you know, everything. So that kind of shifted, that's kind of I say that's a life lesson I've learned and the morning affirmations have kind of helped me to kind of jumpstart my day with that. And I feel like it really helps my mood. It helps me start my day more positive, especially being that I'm not a morning person. It kind of helps me not be so grumpy and cranky, you know, in the morning. So, okay. I, I love that. Being grateful is, is definitely um, a, a, a great thing uh, in life. Um, last question, Faith, in terms of the conversational starter questions and then we're going to kind of get into your backstory a little bit more do you have a favorite quote mantra or word if there's more than one please feel free to share if you like yeah i would say i probably have two um one of them um that i'm really not sure where i kind of got it from and i don't know if i don't know who i heard it from but um it's pretty much you're he you're here because you deserve to be here you're here because you're meant to be here and i would say kind of in this field and um just in a lot of situations in life and in work you know, like the imposter syndrome where you, you know, you feel like you're in this role or in this position and you're like, there's no way that I'm here. Like there's, you know, like you don't feel like you're prepared. You don't feel like you're ready for it or opportunity comes your way. And you're like, there's no way they're considering me for that. And it's like, no, like that position was offered to you or this, you're in this role because you deserve to be in this role. So step up to the plate, do what you need to do and prove to everyone why you're here, why you're in this role. So that kind of, that kind of stands out to me. Cause sometimes, you know, um, especially women in this field and especially just being a black woman in most fields, you know, you've kind of, you kind of ha have that, you know, imposter syndrome of like, okay, why am I here? Am I working with the women's basketball team because I'm a woman or, you know, these different types of things. And it's like, you know, be confident in your background and your expertise and just trust the fact that you were hired because you deserve to be there and that you were the best fit for that position. And when opportunities come your way, you know, this isn't just, oh, they're just throwing me, you know, is this just a random opportunity that came my way? No, you deserve that. So that kind of, um, I would say that's kind of something that I think about when I start to self-doubt. And um, the other one, I would say when I'm going through hard times, um, I do have it tattooed on me um, right here. It's uh, this too shall pass. And I kind of got wrapped up with that quote when in 2015, I broke my uh, femur, I broke my leg in a car accident um that the car incident I probably should not have survived but I came out really just pretty good with the injuries broken leg and uh scrapes and bruises and some other damage but nothing super crazy and I came back fully recovered and everything and at that point that was a really tough time for me mentally because I was in the middle of grad school I had just started interning with strength and conditioning I couldn't participate you know anymore as an intern my training was cut short um, just completely modified. So, and that was a really hard time. And then my mom was taking care of me. So I was back at her house and she was being so protective. I couldn't see my friends. I couldn't go out. And I was just like, this is crazy because I was an adult. So, you know, I was just like, you know, this leg is going to, you know, this leg is going to heal itself. You're doing physical therapy, you're taking care of your body. You're going to get past this and just hard times when you're, you know, working on your master's and you're working another job, you it's, it's hard. So you're like, you know, this, this is going to pass. And then when it does pass, you don't even recognize all the struggles that you really went through until you take a moment to step back and look and be like, wow, like I really pushed through that. So nothing bad is going to be forever. So 
when you're going through a downtime, I try to think about this. Hey, this is temporary. It's going to pass. Don't let it, you know, completely just suck all the joy out of you. Amen to that. Love it. Um, Actually, <laughs> I had a guest on yesterday, a podcast, and one of his favorite quotes was, this too shall pass. That It's a quote that comes up often uh, on this specific podcast. So maybe... Maybe maybe uh, I'm I'm trying to be told something too, you know, because uh, we all we all need some encouraging uh, quotes and and words and mantras here and there. So, um, all right, Faith, we're going to transition into uh, your your childhood, your backstory. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like you to kind of share with us where you like actually physically grew, uh, grew up. Uh, what was your home environment like? Are you an only child? Do you have siblings? Did you play sports? Did you like school? Did you hate school? Were there any like influential, impactful adults, you know, parents, coaches, teachers from those younger years, kind of just paint that picture for us up to about high school and then we'll move on from there. Yeah. So um, I grew up in Hampton, Virginia. So uh, most people aren't familiar with Hampton specifically, unless you're from the Virginia area, but most people have, are familiar with like Virginia beach area, you know, cause you got the beach and all that. So people, a lot of times will travel there. So I'm about 30 to 45 minutes away from there. Um, I grew up, I grew up with both of my parents and then I have an older brother who's six years older. My parents, the reason why we ended up in um, Hampton is both of my parents were in the military. My mom got out before my dad did. My, my dad did a full 20 or 25 years or whatever. So he was a veteran. So they were kind of coming to Hampton to settle down. They had me very old. So my mom was 40 and my dad was 42 when they had me. And then my, like I said, my brother was six years younger, but you know, my mom had um, some issues with um, pregnancy in terms of miscarriage and stuff. So that's why me and my brother are so far apart. But yeah, we were both active growing up. Um, my dad, he was, he's the typical dad that has a daughter that wants her to, you know, be, you know, be protected and make sure that she can, um, you know, take care of herself. So he like put me in karate and things like that. Cause he never wanted me to be in a situation with a guy or a man and I couldn't defend or protect myself. He taught me, you know, all about if someone comes up behind you, here's what you need to do to make sure that, you know, whatever he taught me how to get out of like the zip ties, all that type of stuff. But he was a military, you know, dad. So that's, that was his biggest thing. So he put me in karate. Um, I was in that, I think I got up to a brown belt and then had a situation happen at school and I like I hit a boy because like he was like touching me not inappropriately but just like you know like young girls like we don't want like little dirty boys touching us so I like pushed him away and then like there was a whole thing and my mom um was like I think you need to take her out of karate because she you know is doing that at school and she can't do that so he pulled me out of karate but even while I was doing that um my mom was big into like the dance and ballet classes for girls so I did that for probably about eight years. And I was also in the band. Um, I played soccer, little league soccer for a period of time. And my goal outside of that, I really liked playing basketball. So that was mainly what I would do when we would come home. I would just go outside, shoot on the hoop, just shoot with whoever was in my neighborhood. And my plan was to play in high school. And then when I got to high school, my mom, she saw me playing in middle school and I was very, very small, like 94, 95 pounds. And um, this bigger girl kind of knocked me to the ground and I was down for a minute and it was like, and my mom was so terrified. I was a one game she came to and I got knocked down by a big girl. And she was like, no, you're not doing this. I don't want you to get all banged up and injured. She's very, she's a Southern woman. So like she's from um, Alabama and my dad is from Miami and she doesn't, she likes women to be pretty and dainty and not bruised up and not all this. So she did, doesn't like physical sports. And, you know, I liked watching the Olympics. I liked watching track. So she was like, well, why, why don't you just run track? I mean, that's, you know, she was big into Flojo, who was a, a black runner at the time, and she would have the nails and the hair and stuff. And she was like, oh, you can be like Flojo and, you know, like, listen to your parents. You want to 
make them happy. You want to whatever. So when that time came in high school um, and she didn't sign the permission slip for me to try out for the basketball team. So I was like, all right, fine. I just, you know, won't do basketball. So ended up um, uh, when I got to college, um, I ran track at uh, Shaw University, which is a historic, historically black university. And my mom, I chose to go there because my mom was very big into that. She attended um, HBCUs for her bachelor's and her master's. So she was really big into that. Like I said, she, both of my parents are older, so they were around for segregation. They, she remembers when schools um, got integrated back together and all of that. So she, you know, was really big into making sure you pay homage to uh, universities and places where black people could get educated before it was universally allowed for us to get educated. So I listened, she was, she wanted that for my undergrad. And then for my master's, she was like, do whatever, you know, but uh, both of my parents were very big education wise. So it was never an option for me not to go to college. It was just assumed that you were going to graduate. You were going to go to college. I didn't know anything about trades. I didn't know anything about, you know, anything like that. I just knew college. And then once you got, you know, once you were like partially through, then you go ahead and start applying to different schools. So um, I ran track there for four years and then I went on and got my um, master's right after there um, at VCU. Okay. I'm trying to think if I'm anything. Did I answer all the questions? I'm trying to make sure. Yeah, yeah no, you're good. Let me let me just jump in really quick because I want to I want to go back to the younger years just uh, for for a couple more minutes before we dive yeah. into college and stuff. So, um, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, first of all, let's talk about track like in high school. So you you go out for track. What did you run? Did you you ran in college? I'm assuming you probably did pretty well in high school. Like talk about uh, did you end up enjoying track? Did you fall in love with track? Was it something just because you know, you were going to do a sport because because your mom wouldn't let you do basketball. Talk about your relationship with track when you were like in high school phase. So when I was in high school, I actually never I never actually was on the track team in high school. What I did was I was in abandoned high school and I worked out on my own and I would do running. I would do lifting. And then when I got into college and one of my friends I connected with was talking to me about running track there. And that's how actually how I ended up running track there. So I pretty much ended up talking to the coach and he needed girls anyway. And then just looking at my physique and I already ran, you know, I just wasn't running like organized track. Then he was like, yeah, he was like, yeah, like you can come and, um, you know, kind of let's see what you got type thing. It wasn't like an official like try. It was just like, just come to practice, joining with the girls and, and we'll kind of see from there. So then um, I did that and then ended up getting like a partial scholarship from there. So in high school, really my day, um, I remember you asked the question about um, how was high school? Did I like high school? I did not like high school at all. Like the schoolwork and stuff was fine because my mom they put me in um, a private school up until probably middle school. So the academics I was doing there were like way more advanced. So when I got to public school, all the stuff that we were learning, I had already learned. So like the school wasn't an issue, but in terms of just kind of where I was in my life with high school, I didn't mesh well with a lot of the teachers there and a lot of the other students there. So like in high school, I um, I cut my hair low. So I had like a, a shortcut. So I got teased a lot for that. Um, just, I just didn't really do well with the uh, environment in high school. So I, what I would do is I would go to my classes and then I would live pretty close to school. So I'd walk home, eat lunch, and then I would come back up and do the rest of my classes. And then after school, I would leave and go to the gym. My, like I said, my parents were military based. So, um, I was able to go into the military base and use that gym. And that was like a really great facility at that point. So at the, I, that's when I was kind of learning about lifting and my dad had taught me some stuff, military guy, you know push-ups, lunges, squats, you know, the typical stuff. So I would just kind of work out there with my brother um, if he was home from school or just do stuff that my dad kind of taught me. And I started looking up stuff on my own. So essentially, I kind of got into running track just because I was active 
And I made a friend who was um, running on the track team. And then we kind of talked about it. So it was, it was definitely a weird situation. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, uh, talk, talk to me about like cutting your hair short and all of that. You said you kind of got made fun of that. And, you know, what, what was that all about at that age? If you don't mind talking about that. Yeah. So, you know, I think it was kind of, my mom has always been very big on like hair and like women's hair. And she would, she always liked to do these like complicated hairstyles with me. And she always, and I just, I did, I was not a fan of it because it required so much upkeep and I was a very active girl. So I would always mess my hair up or I'm always outside playing basketball. So I'm sweating my hair out and stuff. So I really was just kind of over hair. And once I got like later on in high school and, you know, I had my car and, you know, um, just working a little job, then I was able to like have money to go and do stuff. So I think I told my dad that I was going to cut my hair and he was like, your mom is probably going to kill you. So I just went and did it one day. And yeah, she, you know, yeah, she was very upset. You know, she still doesn't, she still doesn't like my hair, even though I have like, you know, braids on top, she's still not a fan of it. But what's interesting in high school is like anytime that a student is different or does something a little bit different like that. And at that time, I mean, now you see girls with different types of hairstyles. That's not a big deal. But back when I was in high school in 06 to uh, 2010, that was not a thing. So even when I went down to college and I went to Raleigh, North Carolina, I got asked numerous times if I had cancer because people had never seen that. And they were thinking, okay, well, why would a girl cut her hair that short? Like she must have cancer or something. So now it's way more popular, but you know, back then I was just kind of, I don't know, I guess I was just ahead of the times and I just, you know, did my own thing. So yeah, it was, it was a weird thing, but yeah, I didn't like high school. I wouldn't go back if they had a reunion, which they were supposed to have a reunion in 2020 and then COVID and all that. I was not planning on going at all, mm. at all, because just because once, you know, we got out of high school and then girls cutting their hair short became popular, then everyone was doing it. And I was like, nope, I remember when you guys were making fun of me for cutting my hair short. Now everyone's doing it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Was, uh, uh, I, I want to talk about, you know, like uh, race and things like that was like that your, your skin color, was that an issue in high school or anytime growing up or or not really? Yeah, no, the only time it was an issue, our, our high school, I'm not really sure of, I mean, it was definitely, it was definitely diverse. We had a, we had a mix of um, students, but I would say the only time it was an issue was when I, when I was younger, when I was growing up, when I was in the private, when I was in that private school, um, even when you, I look back at the pictures and go through the yearbook from that school, it was maybe like five black kids. And I actually still know, um, three of them. And we all, we, you know, still communicate on social media and stuff like that. But we, we were definitely a super minority there. And there were definitely instances that happened. Like the instance with that boy, when I hit, when I hit him, it was a whole thing with that. And my mom, I didn't realize it at the time, but later as I got older, she, that's one of the reasons why she kind of pulled me out because I was getting quote unquote in trouble for things that it really was just like an over-exaggeration or something. It could have been some race stuff, you know, involved. I was too young to really Really no, but my parents, you know, um, they were able to pick up on that type of stuff. So that was the only time that that's been an issue um, while I was growing up. And then not to fast forward, but when I was in college and I was in Raleigh, there were a couple of different internships that I had doing physical therapy and stuff, just trying to get um, experience because that's what I thought I wanted to do. And I definitely noticed race kind of playing a factor there um, because if I was an intern and a, and a white person was an intern, there was one specific internship where they would let uh, this white girl do 
more way more than me so what I was allowed to do was I was allowed to do the laundry full towels which is an intern responsibility absolutely but I was not allowed to grab heat packs ice packs for um any of the patients which again that's something an intern definitely can do um and there was one black uh client that would come there and he would use the underwater treadmill and I would usually just observe but they would let me actually sit back there with him and kind of talk him through his workout and I'm like, you don't let me do that with anybody else, you know? And so we would kind of talk about it during his session and stuff. And he's like, hey, like, you know, you're going to experience this in the world. So, you know, just get through right now, get your hours and just, you know, chalk this up to an experience, you know? But yeah, so I did that. I got my hours and I moved on, but there was just different stuff that would happen. So what in that internship, when they were not giving me um, responsibilities and I realized, you know, I, my better, my time was better spent studying I so I would go sit at the table and I would study for my you know classes and I was in anatomy and stuff so I'm trying to remember the origin insertion so I would sit down and some of the therapists would come up and be like you know you're not going to learn anything if you're just going to sit there and not even try to learn with what we're doing here and I'm like you're not giving me an opportunity you're not I'm asking hey blah blah and they're just giving me super short answers and then this other girl is doing all this stuff and I'm like what is going on or if I had to miss for a track meet it's like way more being said about it and it just it definitely was a little fishy so um, I have had experiences definitely like that, um, where I felt like race played a role, um, because it's just like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why it, it just, to me, doesn't make sense. Um, I think as an intern, I think I was a very good intern. I showed up on time and I was available to help, but if you're not going to give an intern responsibilities and you're not going to let them help and you can see that they're trying to learn, they're asking questions then, and I'm also in school, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to study. Like, that's what I'm going to do. So, yeah. <laughs> so it kind of became, uh, like a, a work study then, I guess, for you, huh? Yeah, pretty much. I would just, you know, when this when laundry would be done, I would get the towels out, fold them, lay them out. And then when I would have that one client come in, I would sit back there and talk him through his workout. Um, other than that, I would just, you know, I would always ask, you know, you guys need help with anything? No, 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 we're good. And so then I'm like, okay. And, you know, instead of being like, hey, we got, you know, when you have an intern in that physical therapy clinic, you know, like, hey, here's what we got. Here are the patients that we have today. This person is this, this and this, this and this. What do you know about this? Like, talk to me, like, see, see what I know, see how you can share your knowledge with me, you know, and I don't, I just don't know why I didn't get that experience. But either way, that was fine, because I actually realized through that internship and another one that I didn't want to do physical therapy anyway, it was way too slow, way too boring. Um, and I really, you know, realized I like the fast pace of like, you know, athletics, collegiate athletics, you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, one more kind of question I want to get from you, faith here before we kind of get into the college stuff, uh, more, a little bit more heavily, uh, any, anybody outside of your parents in terms of coaches, teachers, adults, uh, that you feel like really influenced you in a positive manner when you were younger, or was it mostly your parents? Yeah, I would say I would say it's my parents and probably their friends. Both of my parents were like big into church. Um, again, both of them being like super southern. I feel like that's a big thing down down south. So we were in church every every Sunday. I can count on my hands the number of times we did not go to church. Um, um, and so I, I would say the people that my mom's friends that she had that I that were kind of around growing up, I feel like they were all really positive role models for me. And I still like when I go down there and I go to church with her, I still touch base with them and they ask how I'm doing. And it's just good that they actually I felt like they were just really a really big part of my life growing up. You know, they were there for all the birthdays. They were there for the graduations, all those all those types of things. So um, I would say my mom is my both of my parents are probably my biggest role models. Like right now, they're both they're 
71 and 73 and they both still work just because they just want to stay active and move around. And we've talked about like the mental decline that happens a lot of times with older people when they retire. I mean, they're not doing any like strenuous jobs or anything, but like my mom's are in and my dad, he's always been a guy who does 800 different things. So he had his own tax business. He did IT work. He fixed people's computers. He was an accountant. You know, he did all that, all that different type of stuff. So he kind of still does that, you know, now just to stay active. Um, so, yeah, I would say they're my biggest role models. I feel like they seeing them growing up in their work ethic, um, I would say kind of drove me to be as how I am with my career, um, how I am with working. I'm not someone who's going to shy away from work up until probably this job, I've always worked two, two or three jobs. I've always had to have multiple different jobs. I mean, of course, interning with strength and conditioning, you're not going to get, you're going to be doing a lot of free stuff. So you're going to have to have another job, you know? Um, but I mean, I started working when I was 16 and I didn't need to, like my parents took care of everything for me. That was never an issue through college. It was never an issue. But when I would come home, I would still pick up jobs. I worked at UPS during the Christmas season. I've worked at Macy's during the Christmas season, different clothing stores, just to kind of have my own money. And that money was money that I could just save because my parents were taking care of everything for me. So I know that most kids that age would be like, oh, I don't need any extra money. My parents are doing everything. But I just I wanted to work. And I think it's just growing up, seeing them like that is kind of why I've been the way just kind of working my ass off. I was the I was the kid that would come home and say, hey, my parents are taking care of it. So I don't have to work. So uh, <laughs> I can I can relate to the uh, the opposite side of of your your path there in those earlier years, Faith. But uh, OK, yeah. so um, let's let's get into post uh, post uh high school. Now you mentioned kind of getting into physical therapy once you got into college. Now, when you were in high school, Faith, is that kind of the direction you were thinking you wanted to go was physical therapy or were you thinking another career, career path in high school and then talk about going to uh, that H HBCU and, and what was that experience like for you? Yeah, no, I kind of uh, was sitting on my parents in, in high school and trying to figure out kind of what degree path would I want to go and again, I was I was physically active. I enjoyed working out. I enjoyed training. I love sports, um, but I didn't really know what jobs were available in sports outside of just like coaching a sport. And that really, I, I didn't really want to like coach a, a sport specifically. So I'm like, you know, well, I, you know, physical therapy. And they're like, yeah, physical therapy is a you know good career. You know, it's a lot of schooling, but you know, you'll be fine with that. And so I was like, all right. So I kind of looked into it, and I felt like that was a good choice. So that's kind of what I was on track for with doing uh, kinesiology, and then I was going to apply to some physical therapy programs after high school, after college. And then once I got uh, to college, my experience there was good. I mean, you're always going to have some professors that kind of. Um, that kind of rub you the wrong way. You're always, always, always going to have those. And the degree program I was in was uh, five years. It was supposed to be five years with the amount of internships and stuff. And I remember my sophomore year sitting down with my advisor and being like, hey, like, I want to get out of here in, in four years. I don't I don't really want to do this with five. But like, here's my plan of how I can finish this in four years. And he actually laughed at me and he was like, no one's finished this program in, in four years. Like, this is a five-year program. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to be done in four years. And like, here's how I'm going to do it. And so then once I got to my junior year and then going to senior and he started to realize like, okay, she's actually on track. I'm doing my internships along with my classes. I don't know how I juggled all that, but I was doing internships, running track, a full load of classes. I'm not really sure how I juggled that. Um, I definitely had some semesters where I was taking um, more than whatever full-time credits are. I think full-time credits are like 12. I was taking whatever, 15 or something. Um, but I was kind of ready. I was ready to move on to the next thing. And I was ready to get out of North Carolina. I, I didn't really like being there, you know, and Virginia was home. So every time I had a break from school, I was jetting it back to um, to my mom's house just to kind of be around her. 
And, uh, you know, once I was finishing up there, I was like, all right, I want to start looking at master's programs once I realized I didn't want to do physical therapy and um, ended up uh, VCU was my first choice. I got into two other universities, but VCU was my first choice. So once I got into VCU, then I was like, all right, I'm set. I'm going to Richmond. I really liked the Richmond area. I would go up there on the weekends in high school, um, just, you know, go to the mall, go shopping around, just like go out of town, you know, in high school. So I was really excited to move up there and just kind of continue, um, you know, my career. Okay. Okay. Now uh, talk to us now that you, you're running track in college. What was that like? What did you run? Uh, touch on that for a, a minute, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I, so what the way that it worked was I ran, I was a sprinter mainly 200, 100, 400, which you, again, you usually don't see someone who's running all three of those events. And what our coach, what he would do is he would kind of determine what events you were running based on the competition, who you were running against, and also how you looked in practice that week, time trials. And for the relays, everyone wants to be on the relays. And so we had uh, what the way he would work, do the relays is he wanted four girls that had a good relationship with each other. So it doesn't matter if you were the lead leg or you were anchor. If you guys were kind of arguing or being kind of crabby with each other at practice, you guys both were not going to be on the relay. Like he wanted four girls who had a really good relationship. And I didn't really understand it at the time. And then fast forward uh, to the Olympics, maybe in, I don't know, like 20, I don't know, 16, was it 2016? I don't know, whatever the Olympics were like in the, um, a little bit before COVID that the girls that ran, they talked about the USA team. Um, the girls that ran, they talked about how they spent a lot of time together and they really built a good dynamic within that group and how they all trusted each other, whether you're lead leg or anchor leg, like you all have to trust each other because you're running and you're sticking your arm back and you're hoping that she's going to place it in there and correctly. So you don't drop it and all this stuff. And I didn't really think about it at the time when I was in college, but I think that's kind of what his mindset was. He wanted four girls that had a good relationship um, so I was usually on the relay. Um, I think there were a couple beats where I wasn't on the relay, but that could have been time trial. If you missed the practice, things like that, then you weren't going to be on the relay, but I had a really good time. Like two of my best friends are, um, girls that I ran track with, and we would be on relays together and we still relive all those moments that we had in college together. So I'm, I'm still pretty close with a lot of the people I went to college with. Um, we were a very tight knit group. I felt like the track team was, um, so I, I really had a good time running there. And there was two seasons where he actually made us run cross country. This was a D2 school. So he didn't get enough girls for cross country. So we were in his office one day and he's like, yeah, I'm going to need you guys to uh, run cross country. So I need you guys at practice at four. And we're like laughing. We're like, oh, he's so crazy. Like, what is he talking about? And he was like, no, like you won't have your scholarship if you're, if you're not at practice running cross country. So there were two seasons we actually had to run cross country and we looked ridiculous because we were all fairly, you know, like muscular body, sprinter body. And you go out to the cross country, you know, you're in this, you know, trail and it's all these super, super thin, skinny people. And you're like, there's no way, like we looked kind of crazy out there. But again, um, unfortunately, he is no longer the head coach of that program. <laughs> but hopefully whoever's there now is not making those types of decisions like that, um, because I do feel like that that stunted our um our athletic uh performance because you train those you know those long slow distances from august until you know november and then you have to turn around and try to flip it on for indoor season to go to be a sprinter and then that rolls into outdoor season and so you when you train you know those slow fibers like your all your muscle fibers just end up kind of being slow and now you're trying to make them fast again so I felt like if we would have been able to train just solely as sprinters for four years which is what obviously most track athletes do then we would have you know we would have probably been a lot better 
So, uh, but either way, it was a good experience and being able to say I ran cross country is, you know, just kind of crazy because I don't like running long distances at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, you, you girls, your guys is kind of your physiques as sprinters going into cross country. Now I've seen pictures of you on Instagram. You're a, you're jacked. Is that something <laughs> you've always been, or is that through, uh, training for sport and, and CrossFit and things like that over the years? Yeah, I've always kind of had this kind of physique in a sense, like I've always had kind of quote unquote muscular arms and, you know, legs and stuff like that. But it was not as pronounced as it is now that like, I did not look like this in college. I was very, I was like probably 12 pounds lighter. Um, and, you know, I still, you know, had, you know, abs or whatever, but it was just like, I just looked like in shape, you know, I just looked like a, like a typical, if you go to any college, you look at a track girl, that's kind of how I looked. Um, but yeah, so then after, so then my physique kind of changed a little bit more as I started training for CrossFit, which is kind of what I got into after, um, you know, college, because I mean, and I liked it because it was something I could still be competitive at. And I, I really liked the lifting aspect of running track more than I liked actually running track. So I kind of got to learn more about lifting and do different lifts. And I remember when our coach, and we didn't have a strength coach, the strength coach was only for football. So track, our track coaches gave us workouts and it was the typical three by 10 RDL three by 10 squat bench press and pull-ups. It was the typical stuff. And I remember them teaching, trying to teach us like cleans and snatches. And I was like, what are we doing? You know, it didn't make any sense. And then I get to CrossFit and then I actually see it being performed right. And I see it being performed well. And I learned about the benefits of it. And um, it kind of just, you know, made a lot more sense. So yeah, I didn't always, I kind of like this to an extent, but it's definitely way more pronounced now that I'm like training for CrossFit and my nutrition is way better than what it was in college, you know, um, and just really taking care of my body a lot more. Mm. Okay. Now, uh, the, the weight training, you led me right to the next question I kind of had, and, and, and I'm curious about faith. Now you said you, you were working out in high school, but it was kind of more of like the, maybe my, you know, military influence with the lunges and the, the body weight stuff. So did you actually first pick up like, you know, a barbell or dumbbells in college or was it in high school? Yeah, no, it was it was in high school. I started lifting after school when I when my dad got me a car. And then um so then I would just drive to the gym after school. I remember like it was maybe my one of my birthdays. It might have been my 17th birthday. My brother calls me and he's like, "Hey, happy birthday. What you doing today?" And I was like, "I'm at the gym." And he was like, "What?" He was like, "It's your birthday. And why are you at the gym? Like you should be out doing some fun." I was like, "Oh no, I'm just I'm just at the gym." Like, you know, yeah, I was just always at the gym every every day. Um yeah, like I was, I would work at a, we had a local water park and I would work there until like nine and the gym on base was open till 11. So I would work all day, like nine to nine. And then I would go to the gym and get about an hour and a half lift in till 11 o'clock and then come home. Like, you know, but at that, you know, it's like, you're new, you were new, to, I was new to it. So it was just kind of fun and exciting. And um, I liked seeing what my body could do. And I tell my athletes all the time, like, even though my bench press is, you know, really good now, like when I started out, I was just doing the barbell. Like I remember struggling with the 10 on each side, but um, so as I got stronger and I was able to see like, oh, I can add more weight now and now I can do 10 pull-ups and, you know, it just kind of kept me motivated to keep going back. And then I started to see my physique change and I just kind of, I don't want to say I got addicted to it, but you know, like you just kind of really get locked in and you're just like, I want to do this every day now. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, before we kind of get into the CrossFit stuff and, and, and all of that, uh, with that type of training, I want to talk about, um, your transition from pursuing, uh, physical therapy to more of the strength and conditioning 
Walk us through that. Why did you kind of make that transition? Um, talk to us about uh, grad school for a little bit, Faith. Yeah, so I I think the guy who kind of put the bug in my ear about collegiate strength and conditioning, I'm, I think it was a conversation I had with this guy at a CrossFit at, at the CrossFit gym I was a member of in Richmond while I was in grad school. And I think he was like, hey, you should check out like VCU strength and conditioning. Um, so I think I had to do an upcoming internship for the class and I wasn't sure where I wanted to do that. And um, he was telling me about VCU strength and conditioning. And that's when I ended up looking into them and just looking into the field of collegiate strength and conditioning. I was like, wow, that really sounds like, you know, something that I want to do. And that's kind of how I got into it. So I applied for the internship um, for the spring, sorry, for the uh, summer semester, and then ended up getting that and then worked that first week. And after the first day, I was like, I love it. This is this is definitely what I'm going to do for my career. So I was really locked in. The rest of the interns, it was like four or five of us. The rest of them were like, this is fine, but I don't want to do this as my career, which I mean, a lot of people come in as interns and they realize this is not what I want to do, which I think that's still okay because- you know, a lot of being in school and, and being in college is about figuring out what you don't want to do the same way I figured I don't want to do physical therapy. Um, it kind of helps you narrow down, you know, your career path a little bit more. So I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And the rest of them were like, oh, I'll probably go private sector or I don't really know. I'll probably do personal training. Um, so, yeah, I loved it. And then at the end of that first week, I was um, heading down to see one of my friends and then I got into a car accident and then broke my leg. And then I ended up having to just kind of recover the rest of that year. And then I was able to reapply for the internship for the following spring semester. And then I was able to do that internship. And then I graduated later that year and then just kind of kept rolling through. Mm. So, so did, what did you study then for your uh, uh, graduate degree? Was it like exercise science or something or kinesiology? Yeah. What was it yeah. actually? Yeah, it was exercise science. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So why don't you, uh, Walk us a little bit more through this this car accident because you said earlier in our conversation that you uh, you you really shouldn't even be alive, but you kind of I mean you broke your leg, which isn't always good, but it's better than not being alive, I guess, right? So walk walk us through that. Like, how did that maybe shift your life, change your life? If it did, um, what what actually happened in that accident? Yeah, so I actually still don't have memory of the accident itself. It's it's kind of freaky when you think about it. I remember driving out and I remember the song I was listening to. It was a Nicki Minaj song. Her, it was an album that had just came out and I like her and I was blasting it. I remember there was construction on the road. Uh, I was in Norfolk, Virginia. And I don't know what happened. The next memory I have is uh, waking up in the hospital and my friend's dad was there and he was like, you know, give me your mom's number. I need to call her and let her know. And I'm like, what happened? Like, why am I in here? And then my, I couldn't move my left leg and they had something on it and it was really, really tight. And I was like, can you tell them to get like, something's wrong with my leg. Like I, it, there, there's something on it that is like squeezing it. And then uh, I remember giving him my mom's phone number and then I passed back out. And then I remember being on the elevator, um, I guess headed to surgery. I remember seeing my mom and then, or no, the first, the other memory I have is I remember my mom busting into the room, like hysterical, crying her eyes out, like, what's wrong with her? Get the nurses. Like, you know, and it's funny because she's an RN. So she's, you know, worked in a hospital before and she knows the protocol, but she came in there like the typical hysterical mom whose kid has gotten into a car accident. Um, and then I kind of, then I have kind of, my memory is kind of normal after that of just the whole recovery process and everything. Um, so I don't, I don't know what happened. It was a single car accident. So they were like, you may have fallen asleep on the road and veered off, but the cops, the way they said it happened was there was uh, there was an exit here and I was in the right-hand lane and my car just kind of veered off 
and then um, hit something, I guess hit a pole and then flipped and then hit a tree. So the car was completely totaled. Like it was, when you look at the car, it really does look like how did somebody, um, you know, survive that? So yeah, I just, I don't remember any of it at all. So, so yeah, that happened. Um, what was I supposed to be answering after that? Just like, did, was, was that a turning point in your life? Did it kind of shift your okay. mindset at all? Talk about that if, if it did. Yeah. So yeah, like I was saying earlier, it, it, yeah, it was a really hard time because, you know, I was so the doctors pretty much were like, we don't really know if you're going to be able to like walk, run, squat, be as active as you were before because of the way that it broke. And then they had to go in and do an internal fixation, put a rod in. So we were waiting for a long time for the bone to fully um, grow around that rod because it broke in the middle, but it didn't come through the skin. So it was all like internal. So you couldn't really see anything. And, you know, being that, you know, being physically active was my whole life. And I'm thinking of where my career is going. I'm like, there's no way that I won't be able to like walk or run. And so I was really, I knew since I, you know, just did four years, you know, preparing to go to physical therapy school, I knew all about what my recovery should look like. I knew the type of physical therapist I need to see. I knew that I needed to be in an underwater treadmill as soon as possible to just kind of regain some motion. And um, so I can kind of progress back into walking. So that process was hard just because it was so slow for, for my recovery. So like when I, whenever I was supposed to go down from two crutches to one crutch, they didn't let me do it at the time. Cause they were like, no, like it's actually not healed enough for us to feel safe with you doing that. And then um, it took me a while to be completely off the crutches. And then when I was completely off the crutches, I had a limp. And so I'm like, is this limp going to be the rest of my life? Um, so that, it was really hard. And then going back into school in August, when it just happened in May, my mom was like, are you sure that you want to go back into school? Like all this is really stressful. You're juggling physical therapy. You've got to walk around campus. And I was like, I, I got to finish my degree. So, and at that time there was no virtual option or things like that. So, you know, I had to limp around campus and then my first day back at classes, um, my first class was over in, in one building. And then my other class was like three blocks up. So I had brought my brought my crutches and I'm hobbling around campus. It's the middle of August. It's hot. Then I get to the building and the elevator was broken and I had to go up three flights. So I had to hobble up three flights of steps on crutches. So by the time I get in class, I was late. I'm like drenched in sweat. And it, so it was just it was a rough time, you know, um, but things got better and I was able to get rid of the crutches completely around um, November. And then I got back into kind of my usual lifting routine. And I think I started CrossFit back around January or February, but I was still, I think I ended physical therapy around March or so. So it, it, yeah, it was definitely rough times. I didn't know what the future held for me. I didn't know if what the doctor said was going to be true about, you know, you were never going to be able to walk, you know, run squat the same again, or you're always going to have this deficit. So I was really worried about that, but I mean, Obviously now I have no issues uh, from that accident whatsoever. Um, and my mom, like, again, she's very religious. And when she found out I was in a car accident, she called everyone in the entire church in a matter of five minutes and had everyone praying for me. And she would pray over me every night. Um, she sat in the hospital room with me um, when I came back with her to church for the first time, everyone prayed for me. So I think um, really like her belief in God really kind of really helped get me to where I am because I do think that accident could have been a lot worse, but um, yeah, for whatever reason, I'm still here. So I'm just kind of enjoying it every day. Mm. Okay. I want to talk about uh, this, the church thing, because you, you mentioned that, you know, that's something uh, your mom and dad was, uh, you know, kind of brought up in, you were brought up in it, uh, but it doesn't maybe sound like it's necessarily for you. Will you talk about uh, faith or religion, kind of where your thoughts are at right now? faith if you yeah so yeah like 
one of the reasons why my name is Faith is because of my mom, um, you know, because Faith is essentially um, trusting in something that you can't, you know, really see, you know, being able to have faith in something that isn't, you know, um, directly visible in front of you. So she kind of came up with that name because she was pregnant with me and she wasn't sure if I was going to be another miscarriage and she really wanted to have a girl. And um, so she had to really have a lot of faith in God that he was going to give her what she wanted. I was going to come out to be a healthy baby, a healthy girl, which is what she wanted. Um, so that's kind of how she came up with the name Faith for me. So, you know, growing up in that, growing up in the church environment, like obviously like my whole childhood, I just thought this is the only way, this is the only thing. So I would say like where I'm at now is I definitely have a d different view of, and my mom was also Baptist. And so like, I definitely have a different view on things. I do, I do have a relationship with God. I do think that that is real. I do think that there is something bigger than all of us out here. I do think that there are that there is something in someone kind of guiding us and keeping us protected in different uh, situations. Um, there's just so much that so much crazy stuff that goes on in the world. And when you look at, you know, you not being like how situations happen, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, things like that. I feel like things like that haven't happened to me because I've been protected. And whether that's because I grew up with a mom who prayed over me all the time and kept me protected or because I maintain a relationship with God, it's not really something that I talk about or am big on, um, you know, publicizing, um, just because a lot of people automatically assume that I don't have a relationship with God just because of my sexuality, which I'm not like, um, I don't walk around. I'm not like a poster for like LGBT stuff. I just, that's not really me. Um, but people who kind of know me personally, um, know that I am a part of that community. So a lot of people just assume that if you're a part of the LGBT community, then you don't have a relationship with God because most people who are Christians and go to church, have that view that home have the view from the Bible that homosexual is bad and that you're going to hell and that all this type of stuff. But I don't, I don't, I don't believe that because if you really believe that God made everyone and he made everyone unique and individual, then I don't, that just doesn't make sense to me. So there are a lot of conflicting things um, in the church and there's a lot of people in the church that straight that push a lot of people who are part of the LGBT community away. But if you take the people away from it and just focus on a relationship with God then that's a whole different situation. So I still maintain that um, with my mom. I still go to church with her because I know that's important to her and I still maintain my relationship with God. And I do feel like that that's an important part of my life. But if I wasn't raised like that, I don't think that I would kind of have that view. I feel like I would be like a lot of other people in the LGBT community who just kind of push that type of stuff away and just say, that's not for me. But um, I just, I wasn't raised like that. So, okay. Uh... So I wouldn't say not for me. Mine's just a little bit different, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Now, now with with your uh, uh, the the LGBTQ community that you're a part of, um, is that is that bring conflict between you and your mom and your dad, or have they accepted uh, you know your choice in that? Yeah. So I would say my mom. It's definitely that's 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 definitely a source of conflict because she she was not raised like that again. Like she. She was born in the 50s. Like that was not a thing that was so taboo. I mean, it's still, I mean, the nation is still kind of divided on it even now. So no, she's not at all. Like she says like, okay, well, you know, you're my daughter. I love you. I accept you. But part of accepting, accepting someone is being able to accept that part of them. So that's definitely something that we struggle with. And our relationship outside of that aspect is, is great. 
But that's one thing that we are never going to be on the same page about. She says that she accepts it and whatever. I mean, she's gotten better over the years um, with it, but it's never something that she's completely comfortable, you know, with. Um, she's she's definitely not comfortable with it enough to even like with her friends. She's not going to uh, mention if I'm dating someone, she's not going to mention that to her friends. She's not going to she just doesn't talk about it. So when she she doesn't have grandkids because I don't have kids. And then also my brother and his wife don't have kids. So when people are like, oh, do you have grandkids? She doesn't even mention me. She just talks about my brother and his wife. She's like, oh, my brother, uh, you know, my son and his wife, like they don't want, they don't want kids. So, you know, I'm just never going to have them. And I'm like, I actually couldn't have kids. I'm not incapable of having kids, but she doesn't, she thinks that, you know, two women or two men should not raise a child together. So there's a lot of things. And I mean, luckily for me, that's not something that's on my radar right now. So I don't have to deal with that side of things, but yeah, she's definitely not okay with it. But um, she, she hasn't been like, I have some friends that I know where their parents have kicked them out. Their parents have stopped communicating with them. It's been, it's a whole thing. Like it's not okay. What a lot of parents do. So she hasn't been like that to me, but definitely when I was um, kind of younger growing up or in college, she voiced a lot about how she was not okay with it and different things. So that is definitely something I'm working with her on, but then I have to understand her background growing up as religious as she did and growing up in the time period she did a lot of the older people just don't understand it and they're not okay with it and they think that it's like you know they just they just don't agree with it so um yeah it's definitely something my dad is whatever he's chill like my dad doesn't care he just he just wants me to be happy he's like my number one fan biggest supporter he doesn't care it's not it's also not something I really talk about with them because like I just don't but um yeah my dad he'll try to ask me about it sometimes it just I'm just like this is a weird conversation let's move on <laughs> you know <laughs> okay I, I want to I do want to ask you one more thing in regards to this and then we will move on from this topic but um when did you uh now just because I'm I'm going to be very candid with you uh like I'm not I, I don't know like all the political politically correct terminology when it comes to uh that community and it seems like it's kind of always changing and one day it's okay to say this, one day it's not. So I don't want to say anything that's offensive or anything like that, but uh, like, uh, how do you like identify and like within that community, when did you kind of like uh, decide that you were going to move in that direction with your life? Yeah, so I would say, I guess the thoughts in my head and just kind of how I was feeling kind of started probably in like middle school. And I, I identify as a female. So yeah, that's a, that is something that, you know, people of the LGBT community, you probably do want to double check just to make sure that you're correctly, um, you know, um, you know, identifying them with the correct gender and stuff. But yeah, I identify as a female, all that's, you know, fine. Um, so yeah, I would say probably in like middle school is kind of when I had like the thoughts about it. And I was like, I don't really know, like, you know, but again, growing up in church, you know, if you kind of, as a kid, if you have any thoughts that are, that don't fit what you're being taught in church, then it's like, you think everything is a sin and you think you need to get prayed over, you think you need to get baptized and things like that. So I just really tried, I, my mind was like, okay, this is bad. This is a sin. The devil is attacking you, <laughs> things like that to try to, um, you know, and just trying to pray about it, things like that. And then as I got older and then I started realizing more people out there are like that and, whatever um so I guess I would I was kind of more I, I was have I was figuring out my sexuality up until I don't know probably like after college just kind of figuring out what 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 all that is um I never struggled with my identity whether I identified as a male or female I was I always identified as a female that was never an issue um 
So yeah, that was, that was kind of like a struggle definitely when I was younger, but as I got older, it was just more so, more so a struggle, like with the, you know, community, like LGBT people are more likely to be, um, to, ha um, have someone commit an act of violence against them just because of how they look, um, because of who they choose to love, like certain areas, you can't hold hands with another female. Um, you know, you have to be, you just have to be careful about who you're around because some people they're so passionate about being against it that they can actually intentionally harm you. There was a story, um, I live right outside, right outside of DC and there was a story like it was, it was some years ago. Um, but one of my friends knew this girl and, um, she was, um, a lesbian and they put her in her trunk and burned her to death. Like, it's like people do crazy stuff just cause they're so, you know, upset about it. So, um, yeah, did that answer your question? Yeah, yep, absolutely. And I, I appreciate you uh, being candid with me and sharing that uh, part of your story there, Faith. So, okay, let's, let's talk about CrossFit because I've had, I had uh, within the last month, I had another strength and conditioning coach on uh, D1. And I said something about CrossFit and they're like, well, strength and conditioning and CrossFit are kind of like at odds with each other. That's, that's what they said. And I've heard that from other strength and conditioning people. So yeah. How, how did you kind of get into CrossFit? You said it was after, I think you were done running, uh, you know, uh, college track or something like that it happened in college. Uh, how did you get into CrossFit? And then how do you uh, work CrossFit into strength and conditioning or don't you, what does that look like? Yeah. So the thing with, the thing with CrossFit and conditioning is like so much, so much of the fitness world and strength conditioning CrossFit essentially defies all the odds of what we've been taught textbook wise of what programming should look like, what your body can do. So that's why some people are fascinated with it because they're like, wow, these people can do all this. Then you have other people who are like, oh no, everyone's on, you know, drugs. That's why they can do all this type of stuff. And drugs are running rampant in every sport. Yeah, It doesn't matter. Basketball, football, you know, so I just, that, that whole thing really gets under my skin. And especially working in the collegiate realm, most collegiate coaches hate CrossFit. That's like a that's like the, it's like a joke. It's like a, like they, CrossFit is always the butt of every joke, you know? Um, so, but yeah, so for me, I just, I feel like I looked at it in terms of like CrossFit for me is what I choose. It's a sport. It's a legitimate sport. It's what I choose to do with my training. It's not how I train my athletes. Um, so I have a lot of respect for it, but I also have a lot of respect for traditional strength and conditioning and the types of stuff that I do um, with my athletes. But yeah, I, I would say, they kind of are at odds, but you have some people who are able to kind of see through the BS and appreciate it for what it is. And you have some people who just like to make fun of it because one, they can't, their bodies can't do it. All they do is power lift and squat bench deadlift and they can't do a clean to save their life. They can't jump, do a box jump, to save their life. So they like to just talk trash about it and say that everyone's on drugs. And when you really look at it, like the biggest, one of the biggest things is like um, that people don't like is like the gymnastics aspect of with the kipping pull-ups and stuff. They feel like it's just like people flailing around on a bar, but when you you really look at the movement and what it is it's like a gymnastics pull up and so we look at what gymnasts do they use momentum to get their body up on top of the bar they use momentum to do everything that they do so crossfit is literally doing the exact same thing just in a slightly different format so i really hate people like that um that really like talk junk about crossfit but i get a lot of hate about it like on instagram when i post my work i get a lot of hate about it but you know it's fine because i realize that my body can do a lot of things that a lot of other people's bodies can't and I'm probably stronger than a lot of the people who are talking crap anyway. So, yeah, so I got involved with it, like I said, after um, running track. And so what I do is like I follow um, a programming, I follow a separate programming. And that's kind of what I do for my training. For my athletes, I design their programs based on the emphasis of them getting better at their sport and kind of what we need to focus on on different blocks. 
Are they going to do cleans and snatches and things like that? Yes. Are they going to do 30 snatches for time? Like I might do in a workout? No, because that's that doesn't fit with their goals. But for 30 snatches for time, for me, for what I might see in a competition, that makes sense for me to do. So I think that people just really need to <laughs> separate the two and understand that people who are training for CrossFit are training for the sport of CrossFit, which is going to be different types of workouts like that. High volume snatches, high volume gymnastics, um, a lot of odd object stuff. Whereas basketball players and your traditional team sports and colleges don't need to do that type of training. So I think if you can just make that difference, um, then like you'll be fine. I just don't I just don't understand why people continue to <laughs> drag it through the mud like that. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my take on it. OK, now, uh, have you competed in CrossFit? It sounds like you you have or you do. Talk about uh, those experiences, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I've done, I haven't done any in-person competitions since COVID, just because a lot of stuff was shut down during COVID. And then as they kind of started back up with stuff, a lot of the competitions are, I work with um, basketball. So we're kind of in season, like I work weekends from late September all the way through March. So most of the competitions will be like on a Saturday and I'm working Saturday. So I can't do a lot of in-person competition, a lot of local in-person competitions. So they would have to be like in like the summertime and the competitive season for CrossFit starts with the open, which starts like mid February and then runs through until early March. And then you have the next round, which is quarterfinals, which is like late March. And then you go on to semifinals, um, which is I think in May. And then the CrossFit games are in August, which is what a lot of people are preparing for now. So that's kind of how the season looks. So I would like to do more in-person competitions locally, but if I can just find something that fits my schedule, then I would definitely do it. But I'll do the yearly competition, which is the uh, starts with the open. And then, so I, I'll do that every year. And then last year I made it through the open to the next round, which is quarterfinals. And then unfortunately I caught COVID the day before quarterfinals. And so I couldn't do the competition and I was like depressed for like two weeks. Cause I, I spent, you know, it's just so much of your time goes to, training and um uh, just keeping my nutrition locked in and you know all that type of stuff so it just sucked it really sucked to be able to be like all right I made it and then the day before it's like god I'm not feeling that good take a COVID test and then I have COVID and um you know I wasn't able to get into the gym I didn't want to you know expose everyone to me having COVID and then my scores wouldn't have, wouldn't have been that great anyway because I couldn't halfway breathe so you know do you, yeah. do you have like an ultimate competitive goal? Would you like to try to make it to the CrossFit Games or are you just doing it more for uh, health and, and fun at this point, Faith? Yeah, I would. I don't I definitely don't have aspirations to go to the CrossFit Games just because the amount the 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 girls that are at the games are just really incredible athletes. Like the stuff they do, it, it wows me. I'm just like, wow, that's like insane Um, that they can do that type of stuff. So that's that's out of my realm for sure. I think based on my physical ability, I don't, I just don't think that that would even be feasible for me, but also it really wouldn't, I really can't dedicate that much time to my training and keeping my stress down. And I mean, the nutritional side and stuff like that, I have locked in the training I have locked in, but most of those people are training twice a day. They may have a job um, to kind of keep the bills or they might, their significant other might be paying all the bills so they can dedicate all their day to training. Cause if you're training eight hours a day, like how are you having time to sleep and work a job? And you know, if you have kids, like a lot of the people who are there and they have families or they have kids, like their significant other is doing all that, all that work, you know, so that they can live out their dream. So it's just not feasible for me um, at all. So what I would just like to do is I would just like to just keep getting better at the sport. But as I keep getting better, so do the other athletes. So it's always going to be a notch I'm not going to be able to reach. Um, so for right now, like I'm fine with just 
being able to compete in quarterfinals. That's that's my goal for next year is just make it to quarterfinals and just be able to actually not catch COVID and then, you know, compete in quarterfinals. Um, the cutoff from quarterfinals to semifinals, I think is like 50 uh, girls, like I think in our region or something like that. So it's, it's, it's like, that's not even achievable for me to be like top 50 in our region. Like that's not even achievable because the girls that are hitting top 50 are like really like crazy good. So yeah, it's just not feasible for me. So I do it because I enjoy doing it. it um, it's fun. I'm amazed by what my body can do. And there's always some skill or something that I can improve on. So I always have something to work on to get, you know, better at. So that's kind of where I'm at with it now. Do you have a favorite a CrossFit athlete or a, a couple of favorites or not really? Let's see. Um, well, I was a fan of uh, Mal O'Brien. She's like, she's like 18 or 19. I was a big fan of her and uh, she started with the teen division and she came up and she got like, I think second last year. And then she took a step back this year because for mental health reasons and stuff like, and I think it's really hard for the, to, as, a, as at her age to be training, you know, at this high level and you're like a professional athlete at this point and she's missing out. I don't say missing out, but she's not getting the experiences that a normal um, teenager would be, you know, would be getting. And it's just a lot of pressure. It's a lot of stress. So there's been a couple of teenage athletes um, that, I mean, she can compete in the adult division now, but there's been a couple of athletes who have like kind of um, fallen out of that. Um, but I would say, um, uh, someone else I like is, uh, Brooke Wells. She's been at the games for a while. Tia Claire Toomey is, she's won it so many times. Um, she's a great athlete. I like her. Um, those are kind of the top two that come to my mind, um, on the female side of it. Um, but yeah, it's just incredible to watch them. So, I mean, I think they're all amazing and like, you know, um, really cool. Yeah. And, and, uh, Tia Claire, she, uh, competed in, uh, weightlifting, if I remember correctly, in one of the Olympics, yeah. didn't she? Yeah. And that was, that was right after she finished the game. She won the games and went to, I think it was Rio and got like a um, bronze medal or something and like weightlifting. Like, I mean, she's an incredible athlete. She just recently had a, had a child. So she's um, out for this year, but everyone's like, Oh, is she going to come back for next year? You know, we don't, we don't know because uh, Andy Thor started, she's from Iceland. She had a kid, I want to say one or two years ago, came back, made the games and got like second or third place. And it's just like, how do you do that? You know, I mean, it's just really incredible. So those athletes are, they're talented. They are definitely talented and like CrossFit is their sport. And I'm, you know, aware enough to know that's not the level that I'm at. <laughs> it's good, good to have that awareness for sure. Okay. Faith, let's uh, kind of finish up with um, your, your profession as a strength and conditioning coach. So we kind of left off with uh, you going through grad school, you had your accident. Uh, then I think you got, you had your intern so why don't you tell us, when did you kind of have your first big break or opportunity in terms of strength and conditioning coach? And where was that at? Um, I'd probably say at Georgetown. I came up to Georgetown, moved up here for a volunteer internship with Georgetown that I was hoping would turn into a full-time um, position. They had this position where you would work with uh, sports in the morning from 530 to about noon. And then you would be contracted out to one of the local high schools. They, they were like private high schools that had the money for the facilities, had the money for a strength coach. And then you would work there in the afternoon to just get more experience. And that that was initially the position that I wanted when I came here as a volunteer intern. And when I talked to the internship coordinator about it, I already had my master's. I was had my certification. They were offering, if I was to get that like full-time position, they would pay for me to get um, my CSCCA certification. 
So, which is just another strength coach certification that's specific to collegiate coaches. So I was really interested in that opportunity. So I came up and I volunteered um, for six months. And then when that position became available, I applied, ended up getting that position. So I would say that was kind of like my first uh, quote unquote um, big break, because that was my first time actually being in charge of my own teams, having my own sports, being able to be in charge of programming. But I was also still learning and um, being mentored by the full-time coaches, the other full-time coaches that were there. And then being off at that high school, um, I was the only strength coach there. So I was kind of like the head strength coach. So anything we needed from, you know, purchases to weight room organization, all the programs for the high school athletes, I ran all of that. So it was it was really, really good experience. So I did that for a year. And then I was like, I was looking for like growth. I wanted, um, I didn't want to do that for another year. I wanted to just kind of, I wanted a different opportunity so I was just applying to different positions everywhere, just looking for something else. And then um, I saw a position at George Mason got posted. So I put in for that. I said, oh, I'll give that a shot. That's right down the street. And then ended up getting an interview and then ended up getting offered the position. And I felt like it was a really good fit for me because after I was at Georgetown and I, I didn't mind staying there, but at the time there was no there wasn't any position. There weren't any positions coming open. There wasn't any opportunity to kind of like move up while being at Georgetown. And then of course, a year or two after I left, then a lot of different people started moving around. So they had the positions available. Uh, so maybe I should have just hung on for a year. But anyway, I ended up um, going to George Mason because what I wanted was I wanted to be at a university for at least four years, have a full graduating class go through and be able to see four years of my training, four years of working with my athletes um, and just kind of get that experience. If you hop from school to school to school, like you're not building a relationship with those athletes. You're not able to really see the results of your training. Um, you know, cause they're getting a couple months with you in the off season, a couple months with you in season, but you're not really able to see over the course of years, kind of how your athletes have grown, um, how they developed, how they gotten better at their sport, how's their physique changed. And I wanted that, you know, so that's what I was seeking to get at George Mason. And so I'm coming up on my sixth year here. So I've had, um, I've had athletes who have been with me four or five years go through and graduate and I still maintain relationships with them. So it's been a really good experience and I think it was the right fit for me. Mm. Okay. Now talk to me a little bit uh, about, you know, you mentioned er earlier uh, in our conversation, kind of like imposter syndrome and just kind of like, man, like, am I supposed to be here? Uh, did you kind of have some of those feelings once you got to Georgetown and you really started getting into the strength and conditioning and, and what was that like kind of trying to battle that in your mind, so to speak? Yeah, I would say I really I didn't really feel like I had imposter syndrome really at Georgetown because I knew that I was still kind of young and developing and I knew that everyone knew that I was young and developing and still learning. So I didn't you know, I felt like I was in like a learning, you know, position. So but I would say when being at George Mason, there's been times in there's been moments or situations where I felt like that. I don't feel like that day to day at all, um, especially with me being there for so long and having built a relationship with the coaches I work with, with the athletes, I don't feel like that. But it's happened time to time in different situations um, while being at work that I felt like that. And like I said, it's just that self-doubt, you know. Um, and I guess, you know, it's just, I think it's something that everyone deals with, um, you know, at a certain point. But I think you just have to know, like, you know, just trust your knowledge, trust your experience, and, you know, trust that you're the right person for the job. Mm. Okay, being a female strength and conditioning coach, I had another division one female strength and conditioning coach on and we kind of talked talked about that, you know, just how she has to kind of carry herself and how, how has that been for you? Has that been hard? Uh, touch on that. 
Yeah, I would say like I I definitely haven't had some uh, situations that I've I've heard other females talk about because with our profession, it's kind of difficult all the time because you always got someone else trying to tell you how to do your job, whether it's administrator, whether it's a sport coach, whether it's an athlete who's working with someone else in the summer that wants to come and tell you, hey, I think we should do blah, blah, blah. Someone's always telling you, going to, you know, be telling you how to do your job. So when situations come up, you're not sure if they're treating that way because you're female, because you're black female, because you are a certain age. I mean, you're just never really sure. But so I wouldn't say I've really had any bad um, experiences. I've definitely I've worked with other females who I felt like were threatened by being around another female because it's we're such a minority. So I felt like which is really stupid because it's like there's so few females in this field that I feel like we should really just be lifting each other up and wanting each other to go further and just help each other out as much as we can. But, you know, just sometimes women are like that. They don't want you to get one step ahead of them because everything is a competition. So I've been in situations like that. And I've been in situations where I can tell that I'm working with a male who just is not comfortable with a woman being his coworker, or it's either it's, they've never been in that situation or they just have a female complex and they just, you know, I don't know, you know, it's kind of weird. So I have been in situations like that where I can just tell that, a man is not comfortable with me being there and being in that space, which is kind of weird. But I mean, I'm just myself and I just try to show up every day and do my job and just try not to worry about, um, you know, all that type of stuff. But yeah, that is that is definitely a big thing that a lot of females um, have to deal with. The guys I'm working with now, uh, one of the guys I'm working with, we met at Georgetown. So he's one of my friends. So we have a great relationship. And then the guy we just hired on, um, you know, no issues with him. So, I mean, definitely in a good work environment right now. Cool. Cool. So how do you deal with uh, when, uh, you know, somebody says, Hey, you know, they train with their trainer in the summer, then they come back and say, Hey, I think we should be doing this. Or, you know, uh, you know, administration is telling you something. How, how do you kind of internalize that and deal with that? Uh, Cause that can be kind of annoying and frustrating. Yeah. I try to just like kind of compromise. So like with the athlete, I'll explain to them why we're doing what we're doing and why I'm not doing whatever it is that the other person is doing. But the thing with the offsite people is they're not there with them day in and day out, um, you know, working with the athletic trainers around their injuries, looking at what's going on in practice. All that type of stuff is going to dictate what we're doing in the weight room and also things that I'm comfortable with coaching. I'm not going to program weird stuff that I don't know how to do myself and that I don't know how to coach. So when you're working with someone else, they may not know how to coach cleans or snatches. So you may not do that with them. And that's completely fine. They might be more, they might like doing a lot of med ball stuff or plyometric work. And that's fine because that's what they're comfortable with coaching. And that's what they feel like is going to benefit you. But when you're with me, which they are, when, you know, when they're in school, I'm comfortable with coaching these movements. And I feel like these movements are going to help you be able to perform at your best here during this block. And this is what we need to develop. The other person, I don't know how they're structuring their programming. And so that's why I'll tell the athlete, here's why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and I'm not just going to take a program that someone else is doing. That's fine. If you want to do that over the summer, I'm happy you're working out. Like if you don't want to do my program over the summer, like they can go do someone else's. But when you're here, we have to work around injuries. We have to work around what's going on in practice. I'm talking to the coaches about what, what it is that we need to develop. So that's kind of dictating my program at that point, you know, um, in terms of administration, it's like, you know, when um, uh, sport coaches or they see different things going on and they just don't like the way it looks like they don't they don't know what's going on. So similar concept, just explaining to them why this is beneficial, explaining to them why we're doing, you know, what we're doing um, and just trusting that I'm the expert in this area, you know, um, so no one else who can come in our weight room, no one can come in our weight room and say, hey, this person is doing we shouldn't be doing this, this and this because they don't they don't know that, you know. Um, so I really think that just people just need to to trust us and really trust us to do our job because that's what we're trying to do. Mm. 
and and you're not going into the up to the basketball coach and telling them how how to coach their athletes, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not doing that. You know, the unique thing about our job is we get to sit there and watch sport coaches do whatever it is that they want to do. I mean, you know, I we me and the athlete trainer, we definitely give input into um, hey, maybe we should scale this back or, you know, maybe we should cut the duration down by this much or, you know, and I'm not always like, let's cut things back person. There are some days where I'm like, hey, we really need to push them today, you know, in the preseason as we're trying to get them ready. So it's not always that we're trying to scale things back, but it's also we are able to look at the big picture and look at cumulatively the workload that they're doing. You're doing extra workouts, you're doing lifting with me, you're doing running, you're, you know, and then we're looking at, we're trying to avoid these injuries. So some things we need to scale back. And a lot of times that scaling back comes from what, what I'm doing. You know, sometimes I have to scale back in the weight room because of what they're doing on the court. And that's just, you know, we just kind of have to take that L sometimes just say, Hey, you got a tough practice coming up. They'll send me the practice report usually that morning or the night before. So I'll look at the practice plan and say, okay, Let's cut these things out of our lift because I just feel like that's going to be too much in one day, you know? Um, so yeah, we definitely try to work with them on um, just collaborating to make sure that, you know, we get all inputs put in um, to the practice plan. But at the end of the day, you know how it is like in the practice where they're trying to get something straight and they just keep going over, keep going over. And now we're 45 minutes past. <laughs> so that type of stuff happens, but yeah, I'm definitely not showing to practice and telling them what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that was my point. It's like, I've heard, so many strength coaches say, you know, they've got a baseball coach coming in the weight room, tell them, you know, this and that. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, you know, we're, we're the professionals in, in our world and we're not telling you how to coach the baseball players or the basketball players. Uh, so, yeah. you know, just, just back off a little yeah. bit. Right. But it's hard, Absolutely. especially when like I own my own gym and, and train athletes kind of outside of like, you know, uh, the, the, the high school or college setting in terms of like being in that setting, uh, so I have a lot of freedom, but I've heard strength and conditioning coach, like in the college setting, you know, I remember one guy saying like the baseball coach or something like that would be like coming in the weight room, trying to uh, basically tell him how he wants the, the, the athletes to be lifting. And I'm like, dude, I, I, I couldn't handle that. I, I might be better off in the, uh, in the, uh, out on my own. Cause I, I couldn't handle that at all, but um, okay. Yeah. Now faith, we're going to, we're going to wrap it up here. I'm going to ask you, um, and this applies to strength and conditioning. This this applies to a basketball coach, baseball coach, any type of coach, life coach. What do you personally feel like makes a great coach? I would say someone who makes a great coach is someone who's always trying to learn, who's very humble. Like, yes, we're experts in this area, but you're not always putting together the 100% best program. And you can also, someone who can also learn from their athletes. I feel like we can learn a lot sometimes if you just sit down and talk with the athletes, not like not in the terms of like, hey, what should we be doing next block? But just just talk to them. And, uh, you know, sometimes they my athletes have sometimes made a connection between something on the court and something in the weight room that I haven't thought about, you know, or they showed me something that they're working on in one of their workouts. And I'm like, OK. And, it, I, and I look at that movement pattern. And I'm like, OK, I can actually kind of replicate this in the weight room some way or actually the, maybe that's a muscle group that I need to maybe, you know, focus on or maybe, you know, just focus on that movement pattern a little bit more. Um, and as well, uh, also with your sport coaches, because they're looking at they have a whole different view of what is occurring in practice and what they're trying to get. So sometimes talking to them, you can kind of learn and that can kind of help you better your program. Um, and I would also say just like the like the uh, communication, you know, side of it, I feel like all of us kind of come in and we're very by the textbook and we don't think about the communication, the building relationship aspect. 
And that's one thing that I started working on when I got to George Mason, because I, I definitely feel like I didn't do a good job of that, you know, um, at Georgetown with building a relationship with the athletes and um, just trying to connect with them and kind of building that trust. So I would say a good coach, someone who's got to kind of put people first, build that relationship, build that trust, and then just be humble and understand that you can learn from everyone. Yes, you're the expert in that area and, you know, you're kind of the final decision maker with some of that stuff, but you can definitely learn from literally anyone. So don't just go into it thinking I'm the expert. I know everything. And what I say goes, you know, because really, you know, a lot of what you're going to be doing is going to be dictated by the sport coaches in terms of how much time you're getting with them, what types of, I've had coaches say, I don't want to do cleans. I don't want to do front squats. You know, you kind of having to work around those types of things. So just being adaptable. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Um, in regards to kind of like, uh, let's just stick to like the, the freshman athletes that you've seen over the last six or seven years in your field. Um, what do you feel like are some of the biggest deficiencies that you're seeing the incoming athletes, specifically freshmen coming in with that you guys kind of have to correct or, um, corral them and move them in the right direction in terms of like in the weight room? Yeah, I would say that, um, I would say probably core, their core strength, like, um, you know, a simple task, being able to hold a front side and reverse plank. You see a lot of things go wrong when you ask an athlete just to simply do that. I would say mobility, they're always tight, shoulders, hips, ankles. Um, and a, a large part of that is they weren't, they haven't been doing any mobility stuff when they were in high school. If they did lifting, it was just lifting and go home, or they just doing practice and going home. So they didn't spend a lot of time and now their body is used to this range of motion. And so, you know, they're lacking in a lot of areas. And for what we're trying to do, they need, they, they're going to need to be able to be strong in different ranges of motion. So I would say those are probably the two biggest thing I see. I would say probably a third is just kind of body awareness, just being aware of your body in space. And when we try to do different change direction tasks and um, balance and things like that, they're just kind of sometimes all over the place. I don't see that with all of my freshmen. I have a couple of good freshmen that have great body awareness, um, that have great core strength, but I would say that's, those are the biggest three things I see with incoming freshmen. That's like, okay, we need to address this first. Mm. Um, what, what do you personally want to accomplish as a strength and conditioning coach? Do you have dreams of like, you know, being in the NFL or NBA or WNBA or, train more Olympic athletes. What are your thoughts on that faith? Yeah. It's like, I don't, you know, if, if, um, if I was in that position, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I, I wouldn't take it. It's not necessarily a goal, but it's not a door that I wouldn't open if that makes sense. So I would just say my goal, my ultimate goal, honestly, like I just want to be able to give my athletes everything that I did not have when I was in college in terms of, um, being a strength coach, um, being, a being a role model to them. Um, I do work with a lot of, I, I do work with a lot of black female athletes. So just being able to, for them to look at me and see themselves in me, I think is really important. And just in my, in my role and in my position. Um, and then I would say probably, I want to be able to be oversee a department. I want to be able to be a head strength coach or director of a department because there's, there's a way that I want things to run and I want to be able to kind of give that to my athletes, give that to the other staff that, that is, that's working under me. I mean, I've been at a couple of different schools and I've seen kind of the way that the hierarchy has gone and the leadership has gone. And I just, I want to be a good leader. I want to be able to have a really good, effective department. I want strength conditioning to be the best department in the athletic department. And I want to be able to be the person who kind of puts that in place. Mm, love that. Okay. Uh, Let's, well, let's, let's end it here, uh, Faith. Uh, in terms of like the community of strength and conditioning, 
as a whole, what would you like to see different, done differently, or what changes would you like to see within that strength and conditioning uh, family or community, specifically more of the, the collegiate side of things? Hmm. Like what, what would I want to see changed based on what's how things are currently right now? Yeah, or maybe just something that you you don't like the way it's done right now as a whole, and you yeah you would kind of like to see it change. And how would you change it if if you have any thoughts on that? I would say, I mean, it, this may be more dependent, you know, to the school, but I would say the relationship of strength conditioning with admin and strength conditioning with the other um, departments at the university, like. We are a really vital department, and I think that that gets overlooked at most schools and by a lot of um, administrators, and they don't think that a lot goes into our job. They don't think that our job, our position needs leadership. It doesn't need this. It doesn't need funding. They can just, you know, use anything and just really valuing our department. I mean, those athletes are in with us like, you know, five days a week. Sometimes we're in on weekends like the athletes see us almost every single day, um, especially if you're in seasoning and traveling with them. My athletes see me all the time. So um, I think it's really important that they invest money into strength and conditioning that goes for um, the equipment, that goes for just the room, how the room looks, that goes into investing in your staff in terms of giving them money for professional development opportunities, compensating them fairly for their knowledge, their expertise, um, the amount of work that goes into the sport that they do. So that's that's one thing I'd like to see change. And I feel like that's kind of everyone, I feel like everyone can agree with that that's at a university, right? Now. I mean, some people have great working relationships with their administration. So again, this may be dependent on the school, but I would say that's something I really wish um, would change in the, in the, within uh, collegiate strength and conditioning. Okay. Yeah. Love that. That's, that's great faith. Okay. Uh, I think we've had a very thorough conversation. We've touched on a lot of different things, faith. So before I do a quick outro and I get you out of here, um, I kind of want to give you the opportunity, if you have any final thoughts, any final words, anything that we didn't touch on that you kind of want to just share in closing, I'm going to uh, turn it over to you, let you do that. If somebody wants to connect with you on like Instagram or social media, where can they find you? Um, and then any shout outs, anything else you want to leave with us? Platform is yours. Yeah, um, I don't think I have any like final thoughts. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation day. It was, I think it was really good. Um, my Instagram, um, that's the main social media that I use is, uh, faith S.A. Brown. So it's my first name, last name, and then my middle two initials. Um, and I, I don't think I have any shout outs. Um, but I would just say, uh, thanks to you for having me on here. Um, I had a great time today. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, Faith. I'm going to do a quick outro and I'll, I'll let you go. Okay. All right. All of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much to all of you. I appreciate you. I value you. And if you guys would like to connect with me, there's a couple places that uh, we can do that. Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast. And then email is podcast at gmail.com. And before you guys uh, go today, uh, please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, you can check out my website, which is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. Again, thank you so much for you guys uh, tuning into another episode of Curious and Candid, and we'll catch you next time.